Hi everyone, this is the Shopstool Podcast, episode 5 of season 3. As always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how's it going? I'm not bad. Good, in fact, you could say. <laughs> cryptic, cryptic is, is the word. Yes. And uh, Brian, how are you? Um, average, average, as you could say. <laughs> wow, well, well, my name's Robin, and I'm amazing, I'm fantastic. Oh, so. great. <laughs> so then we end up somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Um, we've got a very interesting uh, topic to start on, and uh, that's uh, Joey's got some some very interesting news to share with all of us. So why don't you take it away, Joe? <laughs> interesting, perhaps interesting, scary. We're selling the workshop. We're moving up, moving out, um, selling the house as well. We never thought we would sell the workshop because it was such a prime we bought this awesome piece of commercial land um, we have a small like 65 square meter dwelling behind the workshop which we used to live in um, so we have a fully legal home workshop home and income type situation so so just to just to clarify so your workshop and home are on the same Block? They used to, well, yeah, they, we have a small dwelling behind my workshop, mm. which used to be a car park. Um, I don't live there anymore. We currently rent it out, which is great at the moment. It pays a, a fair amount of the running costs of having the commercial property. Mm. Um, so you're selling your workshop and you're selling your house, two separate buildings. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And... Um, so because a few reasons is really, you know, life moves on a bit and what we always have wanted is a much more, not secluded, but a bit away from everything. Um, nice piece of land that is mainly flat. We have a very slopey home section mm. and it's not so fun for the kids. It's difficult to hang out with the kids and we're pretty family oriented. So um, having some, just a, a better kind of, future outlook for work living life everything mixed in so we're going to try and find a piece of land that we can build everything on one everything on one land piece of piece of dirt so a separate workshop shed separate house and that's the plan how, how far out of Auckland do you reckon you have to go to to get that we can probably do it pretty much where we are really I don't think we'll have to like we're right on the boundary between Auckland and Northland mm -hmm. and it would be really cheap. Well, I say really much cheaper for us to just go 20 minutes North and we would be in Northland. But, um, there is a bit of an extra hike back down to the city where all my work is and we've looked around and we can probably deal with the land prices, even though they're outrageous. So the land prices um, and are workable if we make a few sacrifices with what the house actually looks like. So, um, yeah, that's that's where we're at. So, like two days ago, we signed the pieces of paper to say that the agent can start selling the workshop. And um, brilliant. See, see what happens. When does the house go up? Uh, probably maybe another two weeks. I've still everything's come down to me to finish the kitchen off. Um, so the kitchen was never really fully finished and so I've got to make it look 
presentable. Uh, my dad's painted most of the inside of the house again just to make it all look snazzy. But um, yeah, so I'm kind of flat out at work, so it's a bit tricky to spend, you know, do another kitchen on the side. So uh, not exactly sure when that's going to happen. Can I? Are you going to design the house? Yes. You are? Are you going to build it? Um, I'm not going to build it. Uh, I could, but I don't want to deal with that. I mean, but budget is really the problem. Yeah. Um, what we're probably going to, me, my wife and, I, and Holly and I have always wanted to, um, a very industrial, commercial, um, like a loft type feel, big open space, very simple. Um, and really the best way to do that is just to get a big tin shed put on yeah. and then fit it out as a house. And that they're pretty bloody cheap. I mean, you can get like sixty thousand. You've got yourself a house, like a big shed done. So that's probably what we're going to go for. And then, but that's not going to have anything in inside. There's no internal. No, no, that's just a shell. Shell, but, yeah, yeah, the shell with. Uh, you know, we've got to put some septic systems in and whatever. But um, after, because because it's a self-contained structural thing, you can do whatever you like on the inside. It's just sky's the limit. Um, but you just in in terms of cost, like once you factored in all those extra walls and plumbing and septic tanks, are you now getting close to a traditional house? If um, not, if you take into consideration labour, yeah, because I guess you can do the majority of that. Almost all of it. Myself and my dad, who's still a licensed builder, would will work on it. Um, yeah, it's um, like labour costs. Like if you hired a, a crew of guys to come and do build a house or whatever, you know, half of it's labour. And, mm. and my experiences with builders lately are just shocking. That they're so they'll, they'll take on three jobs at once, and they'll be at your job every third week mm. for a week. Mm. Uh, because they're trying to do three at once and it's, that's not how it should be done yeah. uh, I have a real, a real problem with how builders are treating the way they run their jobs at the moment uh, I really am not happy with, <laughs> with how people are just put on the back burner Is that, do you think, because there's an over demand? Yeah, mm. there's huge demand and no materials, which doesn't help I was yeah. going to say the materials thing must <laughs> plant it as well Yeah it's funny after yeah. the other week's show talking about costs of materials and plywood and stuff running out. I got emails from um, my plywood supplier saying prices will rise as of tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> it's like usually well, it's just the annual price rise, and they just went nah as of first of June, everything's going up. The next day is a bit rough because you know if you've got yeah. ten jobs tended, uh, that's pretty tough. Yeah, fortunately I got mine in the week before, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, that's, so that's really exciting. Are you gonna um, tell me you're gonna document the whole thing on YouTube? Oh, Come on, Joy. Uh, I suppose I will. This is what the people pay no bucks for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what people pay absolutely nothing for. Yeah. This is, this is your chance. Have you seen the Samurai Carpenter? Have you seen his latest thing? I've not. I don't even watch woodworking anymore. What's uh, he done? He's uh, he's bought an island somewhere. I think what? he's in Canada, isn't he? Poor guy's not making any money. He's bought an island <laughs> and he has bought a barge 
and he's building a house and a workshop on this island. But he's starting by building the barge. What an adventure. Like, literally, he's bought like a, a, like a hulk, like a, a coal hulk or something. I take it his business is ventures working then. Yeah, he's obviously making enough money out of YouTube, eh? Because he wasn't a while back. That's what he said. <laughs> so, but uh, what size? Yeah, go on. What size? Um, uh, what size shed are you thinking of of putting in? Um, there's two options. What I, and we haven't done full costings on it, but one option is to make one giant shed, mm. and I'll put it like a double wall sound wall between them and like split off one half for a workshop and I say half like two thirds for the workshop and a third for the house and that would be about 360 square meters or something and we get about 200 about the same what I have now about 200 square meters for the workshop um but surely the noise is the, getting I mean that's going to drive uh, I don't crazy. know like I, I, I'm not sure that it's that big a deal like you can do some pretty good things with soundproofing. Um, if you make make two walls that are not touching each other mm. by say 50 mil, and kind of rubber gaskets around them, you, you're going to deaden most of that sound. Um, I used to work when I first started in a four car garage, which was in a like a basement type scenario, and we soundproofed the, that floor. And um, my in laws used to live above it, and there was like no noise. Um, we had a, a hanging ceiling and proper sound insulation and stuff and did what we could to make a really dense mid-floor and it was pretty well soundproof. So this is, how many workshops are you on to now? You're currently in your second or your Second, third? real second. one, yeah, yeah. Okay. With the sound, it's, a, it's an interesting one because uh, I've talked about this before, in the past with, with Jamie, my wife, I'm now underneath the house and the noise mm. is unbearable because I've done nothing. So there's, mm. there's 19 mil of pine yep. flooring between her and the <laughs> thicknesser. But if, if I was to buy a new property and, and put my shed 50 meters away so the noise is gone, what happens if I lop an arm off? You know, I'm, I'm that much further away oh, from, well. from any help. And, and yes, okay, that's a, a stupid example. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like fr- from her perspective, she's always said, I don't know if I want you to disappear out there because then I, I don't know what's going on. If you're working late at night, you, you know, it's a different story. So you kind of, I guess what you're doing, you've, you, you meet halfway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't work late at night, I guess would be my, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well like eight till three thirty. That's, that's when I work. So, um, and yeah, I could be working by myself and I could injure myself, but you know, I've usually got my phone in my pocket and that's about the only answer I have for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so option two would be to make two sheds, which I'm much more um, liking the idea of. I mean, we could do some cool things with how we orient two sheds together to, to create uh, some kind of uh, shelter depending on wind direction and, and where north is and how the site would let us create some kind of courtyard type area with using two buildings um and maybe link them with a little tunnel or something like that but um that's kind of our where we are at and we're just trying to find some land and get some money for the existing workshop um trying to work out how we logistically go about selling it and still use it for a little bit while we get the other one built and then move into mm. it and then um 
because you're gonna have some, kind of you're gonna have some downtime surely yes probably but what what we want to do is ideally sell the property and then lease it back off the new owners for six months or something um have the money in our pocket and then build the shed and then just move out and pretty much move in two or three weeks just move the workshop and start start up where we left off that would be the plan but uh, it's a bit of a bit of a undertaking very exciting and these sort of yeah. these sort of lots that you're looking at I've, I've never bought land before I've only bought a house you talked about a septic tank so that's your your um, yeah. serious taken care of in so, terms of water and, and electric do most be, blocks have them? Uh, no one's got water where we are like it would all be tank water which is what we are, have now um, there are a few sites that are completely off grid and the price reflects it uh, mm. so we would have to put solar or wind turbines or something on uh, that's maybe a bridge too far for me. I don't think. Uh, well, we have had numbers done, and I could completely run my workshop off a relatively mm-hmm. small solar setup, which is the best way to go because you're actually using the power that is being created during the day. Um, at this time, the research I've done and people I've talked to, the battery packs that they have for house solar systems to actually capture that energy while the batteries work. Their uh, warranties and kind of lifetime don't really match up yet versus the cost. So you're looking at kind of like 10 grand, nine and a half thousand for a battery that lasts 10 years and won't be paid off for like 12. And so you're like, well, this is uh, not a really good ratio. so the best way to have solar is to actually use the solar power as you're source, uh, generating it. Um, certainly that seems to be the best option here. Australia's probably got different setups because you probably generate more. I'm not sure what battery systems have got there. but um, So that's what we would have to look at, and I would like to do that anyway. So if... You um, want to have a chat Have a chat to Jam at Like Butter? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I was just thinking. He, he's right into it. Oh, um, hugely. They're now... I know they've been feeding back into the grid for a while, but they've now mm. done electric vehicle part off the solar yeah. panels as well. Well, I'd like to do that. We would eventually like to have an electric vehicle that we charge off the roof, um, which would be awesome. I, I think for what I do, I would need some grid power mm. and just for cloudy days, pretty much. Yeah. Um, most sites have got power to the edge of the um, boundary, but nothing else, no other services. Uh, so the only other thing you have to check before you buy land around here is that you can actually get internet access. There's got to be a cell tower within Kui, otherwise you got nothing. Mm, so yeah, that's that's a pretty major one. If you don't have internet, if you're in a black spot, then it's no no deal. <laughs> and I guess with all the videos you're going to be uploading of the progress, you're going. Oh be, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'll be making so many videos. I for the first time, this might lead into what we're going to talk about next. For the first time, I started making a video and got halfway through it and just turned the camera off and left. <laughs> left, I just didn't finish. <laughs> is that because the project went wrong or because you just couldn't be asked? Yeah. because I was like, this is actually turning out pretty cool. And then a mistake happened and I was like, oh, you know, I can fix the mistake. I can't fix the mistake, but it's not as bad as it could be. 
but people are going to see it and all the comments are just going to be about this thing and I can't be bothered dealing with it. So no more video. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true though. That the number of times that I've got into a project and thought if I just stopped filming, this project would be done tomorrow. <laughs> it would be just be done tomorrow. But because of the sick, sick obsession. So what was the, what was the mistake? What happened? So one of the few posts I made recently on Instagram was this um, herringbone table, uh, walnut table with herringbone veneer. Pretty cool table, worked out nicely enough. A little bit of background, it was interesting. It was one of these ones where the client said, we just need you to make a tabletop and a bench seat top and then just drop it off to us and we'll put the legs on. I was like, okay, sure. We can do that. And then um, I said, by the way, what are the legs that you're planning on? Oh, we found these steel legs that you can just, there's people, there's a website here that you can just order steel legs. It has a little like uh, 100 by 100 bracket on the top of the leg and you can just screw it onto the bottom of your tabletop. And I said, okay, well, what's going to stop your table sagging in the middle? You can't just put four legs on it. I'm a, piece of plywood and hope it stays flat I think, I think oh, you yeah. asked that hey because I, I wonder how many yeah, people yeah. would have exactly so, and especially if you're going to spend the money that I'm charging to put a custom veneered top on a piece of plywood um, I said okay so I'll make up a bracing system on the bottom of the table you get the guy to send the legs here so I can fit the walnut to where the legs are integrating in the corners and while I'm at it, I might as well just screw the legs to the table because I have to put insert nuts in and you don't know how to do that. So, okay, so I ended up making the whole table with their legs. Um, the problem was, I'm kicking myself for this, when I had spent probably a day, a full day, laying out the herringbone pattern for the veneer, and I just had the two edges to do. And so it's just these little pieces with 45 mil, 45 degree cuts down each edge. Um, and I laid them all out. Well, I laid one side out. And the other side I gave to my assistant. Said, you do that side, I'll do this side. And then we're ready first thing in the morning, because it was late in the afternoon. I said, first thing tomorrow morning, we're going to glue this up and put it in the vacuum press so I can have the vacuum bag running all day. And I'm here to watch it, mainly because I used a slow dry glue which needed a long time so I wanted to be pressing glue at like 7.30 in the morning I wanted it in the press anyway he does all that pressed it worked really well pull it out of the bag and I pulled all the masking tape off and the side that he had done he had put all the pieces the wrong orientation and didn't continue the pen (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing so I was just like, I mean, I just just about cried. I was like, it's came together so nicely. It was the nicest top I've made in that style with a veneer. I did everything right. I learned from my mistakes from like four other tabletops. And the bloody pattern is not consistent. You didn't see it when you put the bag on? No, because... You have to fully masking tape each piece on. Ah, okay. And all the, the grain orientation was pretty much covered. Couldn't see anything. Because what the problem was, these pieces on each side 
could could have been either way up and it was what made it what made the pattern continue was the actual orientation of the grain running this way or this way um, you know perpendicular or not so the saving grace is that they're very small pieces maybe 80 mil mm. long and because the walnut's great and that it's color variation is pretty great so you get lots of light and darks and light and darks and when you look at it all you see is light and dark steps and it matches with all the other light and dark pattern it's not till you actually look at what what way the grain is running where you go oh it's running it should be running 90 90 degrees the other way down that little edge so i just saw it and was like what i mean what can i do how do you fix it i can't fix that i didn't do it but my name's on it. Mm. If the client really didn't like it, well, it's not fixable. It's not something that's fixable. But it is something that um, all I figured I could do is say, well, here's what am I going to give you, like 25% discount? I mean, what can you do? I'm not going to spend another week making a whole new time. What I was going to say, would that would that not have been the, the solution? Uh, well, there go. I mean, I'm... Um, um, completely losing money not only am i not making money but i'm out of pocket at that point yeah the cost of the materials yeah but uh, and maybe this is a very interesting thing to pick up because as the the woodworker with the client i would assume at that point your your back pocket is going to be pretty empty now because you can only save face that's all you can do you cannot expect a profit at that point because you've made a mistake is that is that not necessarily the way you should be approaching these things? Um, you could go either way, I suppose. Uh, I've done both in the past. I've said, look, I cocked this up. What do you want to do about it? Mm. This is option A, option B. Um, and I've said to people outright, generally when I say to someone, I've cocked this up, I can't do really much about it I can offer you a discount generally people say ah look don't worry about it most of the time um in this case I was it's it's something that you really have got to know what you're looking for okay I'm I'm looking at it now Joey I struggle to see it if you hadn't have pointed it out yeah nah so I said look I'm just gonna I'm just going to not say a word. Yep. Um, if anyone picks up on it at some point, okay. Oh shit. What are we, what are we going to do about mm. it? I hear uh, that your clients are big fans of the podcast though. So <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so, a really tough one. It's just one of those things like, you know, we make mistakes and I mentioned to you guys earlier on the show that, uh, sorry, before the show, you know, as, um, Woodworkers, typically our plan is to make a living from what we do and we grow a brand and business around our what we can do and I, I guess at the end of the day our names become our brand or our company names become our brand and our reputation and you get to a point and I would say most woodworkers are, would be like this, where you, you're busy enough where you probably need a full-time extra pair of hands. 
but you don't actually need them full time. And there's this annoying amount of sometimes you just don't need someone hanging about, but then the very next day, oh, I need to lift this big thing from there to there and I can't do it. I need someone there. I need, I wish someone could just sand that well, I can do this and then we'll be finished by the end of the week. You know, and so then you say, okay, I'm going to have to get an extra pair of hands. That's how business works. Great. As soon as you get that second person on board, they have, they are representing you, at least to the client's point of view, the client has hired you because of reputation of whatever else it is. And when a mistake happens, which happens, um, yeah, it's on you. It's my, it's my problem that there was a problem with the, yeah. that walnut tabletop. I showed my um, assistant first thing in the morning the next day. I said, what do you reckon about the tabletop? Have a look. He didn't spot it. <laughs> I said, look at this. So it probably wasn't that bad then. Yeah, but, you know, it's not right. <laughs> Brian, have you had any m- mishaps with you? Because you've got a... Yeah. I've had, I've had interns that have made mistakes, but shit happens. Like, it's it's usually been fixable to some degree, like, in terms of, yeah, there might be a bit of, bit of material cost, you know. It's kind of been more than their day's wages or whatever, mm. like. Um, but no, nothing terrible, to be honest, like. And I know what you're saying. Like, I used to have a really good arrangement with a furniture maker that worked in the workshop, sort of just done, just in the same precinct as me, but in his own workshop. And we would sort of, if we needed something lifted, we'd buddy up. Yeah. If he needed me for a job, I'd keep tally of my hours. He'd come and do the same number of hours for me. And for anybody starting a business, I would say that is by far and away the best way to get help. Because you're not trying to necessarily train someone on the job. Like people are coming in with some level of competency, um, but also feeling as though you've got a support network as well. Like if mm. you are in desperate need, you've got someone there to help you. Like it's it's a really good way to work. And when you've had those moments in the past, what is the? Do you have a particular way of? dealing it dealing with it does it like does it turn into a teaching moment or do you find the best thing is just just to (laughs) not 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 brush it under the table but you know we've made a mistake there's no need to talk about it let's just move on no i i would say we've made a mistake what would be your suggestion for fixing Mm. it Mm. and then kind of go from there to be honest but i've never I don't know. I've never really got upset at anybody <laughs> making mistakes as I've out. made way, way, way more mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And it must be it must be hor- horrific for the intern. Like, it, you know, especially because you've been there and you've seen all the work go into it. Joey, your, your um, assistant must have been assistant. mortified. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I have at this point much higher expectations of someone who's been working for me for four and a half five years almost um i expect like we have ways we do things like this is how we make a cabinet you see, i'm not gonna lie you sound like a tough boss 
Well, like, and it's like, this is how we make a cabinet. We've been doing it for years. I, here's some plans, go make that cabinet. And then I walk out to the workshop and see things completely done not that way. And like, uh, why are these two bits of wood glued together? Oh, shit. There goes a sheet of plywood. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> That's like, oh, man. That's infuriating. So it is really hard when you compare it to digital businesses and things where it's just people's time that's been wasted. But when there is mm. a, a material cost that's involved, as well as the time, and then the time that you take to fix it. Yeah, um, that was my lunch break today. I was fixing shit, mm. and um, yeah, I didn't get lunch and didn't get to work on my work either. And it's like now we're behind and down materials and now the job is not really how I wanted it to be built because I've had to join a couple of bits of plywood together but that's what we had to do and when that um, when that client looks at it and shows Buddy the mistake it's <laughs> Joey Chalk made yeah. that mistake <laughs> yeah that's yeah. right yeah they're the jobs you don't put your signature on the back of because someone's going to come along and where the <laughs> shit did he join this piece of wood in the middle <laughs> get, get the assistant to sign it now oh god yeah so I, it's um yeah the the cost the material cost the, the Brian have, like I have never done this yet but would you or could you have you said hey look you you made a mistake fair play we all make mistakes um, that cost two hundred and something dollars to get new materials in <laughs> I don't have the heart to do it I don't think <laughs> I, I just, do either because then your relationship just is just over like it's, yeah. it's done I, yeah. Yeah. I I mean I'm kind of lucky enough that all the interns that have worked for me have been really honest and upfront about if they make a mistake mm. they'll come and tell me about it they won't try to hide it like it, yeah. it I mean it might be a source of embarrassment but it's not like a shameful thing it's like I've made a mistake I'm sorry mm. um right and then we've worked together to fix it so I mean Maybe if it was a mistake that cost a few thousand dollars, it might be different. But when you're talking mm. about fifty dollars here, a hundred dollars there, um, it's different. I agree. But at the end of the yeah. day, you are still losing money. You do, yeah. yeah. And the person who made the mistake is getting getting their full pay at the end of the week and just yep. going off to the pub. And you're and you're sitting there going, right, I I have less money this week. <laughs> Joys of self employment. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And have you ever let anyone go? For it, for a mistake. Uh, well, okay. No, actually, I assume, I assume you're asking Joey and not me. Let, let, <laughs> let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it because I'm sure there's been times where you've had to let someone go because of multiple things that have just started to add up and it's got to the point where. But have you ever let someone go because of a mistake? Um, not in furniture making. Uh, when I was a builder, right before I ended up getting sick and all that jazz. I had um, four full-time builders and I needed another one. And I went through this whole awful ordeal of, um, what do you call it? Um, what do you do? Uh, um, interviews and stuff. Uh, just sat there for two days interviewing bloody people about reading CVs and awful stuff. And so ended up employing this guy who had all the right qualifications and said all the right things, took him to the job site, said the job was to like re-roof this little lean-to garage thing. He said, rip the roof off, fix up any 
rot or whatever just throw a few new bits of timber in and then we'll get the new roof on should have most of it done by the end of the day see you later I come back at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and nothing had been done like no work had been done where was he? and uh, he was sat, sitting there pulling out nails of the roof and I said what What the shit? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Oh, well, we never actually got taught how to do roofing when I did my qualification because I was I got my qualification while I was working on roadworks and there was no roofing to be done. So they just signed us off anyway. Jeez. Yeah, see you later. Yeah, I was like, okay, no more work. That's it. <laughs> what, what's the process <laughs> there? Because now do you have... I mean, in you know, in, in my career in, in IT, it's there's, there's so many hoops that you have to jump through to let someone go um i think at the time they had just here introduced a, th- a 30 or 90 day um trial oh, period probation period yeah fair enough where you can sack him on the spot sounds like he sacked himself i mean yeah i mean come on i mean it was just uh, the worst thing just and you know, i think i ended up having to pay him for the day and whatever yeah. just stupid <laughs> the problem is where I am even if like my assistant did some what, what would you call it like gross negligent thing I don't know that seems like terms for letting someone go generally I don't know what that would be um, let's say I had to get rid of him I there's very little out, people around where I am that could do the job mm. yeah so there's a certain amount of just keep everything running as smoothly as possible because, you know, I do need someone to help me out. So uh, uh, having someone with some skill set and some experience of what we do, at least, is much easier than having to retrain someone, Mm. which takes at least a year of retraining, even if you've got experience. At least a year, yeah. Yeah, Even if you're experienced, you still have to retrain in the processes of this particular systems you know and not only that i and i don't know necessarily what your work environment's like joey although at this stage it sounds pretty terrifying but (laughs) there's still some nuances and that's those unspoken uh, understandings that you have that you that that takes time there's no way to know yeah absolutely yeah typically i try to be as hands-off as possible i'm just like Here's a drawing. Here's a 3D model. This is what our new job is starting. And this is where we need to start. Do you need some help with the cut list? Okay, here's some basic cut list measurements. Do this. And then after that, everything is based off this first like carcass we're going to make. If you're going to make a kitchen, let's make this one carcass. And then everything is just based off measuring from that. And you can work your way along the cabinets or whatever. Um, okay, you're good. I'm going to do something else. I'll see you at the end of the day. That's pretty much how I work uh, unless I look over and see something like a sheet of plywood being cut in half where it shouldn't be I'm like okay what are we doing <laughs> stop <laughs> that costs $200 yeah very <laughs> oh, good Brian how long did it take you before you got your first intern whereabouts in your, um, your career were you I was probably two years full time I reckon and she approached me. I wasn't looking, and I was like, "Oh yeah, could probably actually be helpful." Mm. And then it's just 
I mean, I've kind of been, I haven't had to let anybody go. It's just things have sort of yeah. seen their natural course and people have gone on and formed their own businesses. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been pretty fluid for me so far. But like I said, having the support network of a friend who's a furniture maker, shout out to Scotty of uh, the Timber Shack. Um, but uh, yeah, that definitely makes things easier. So if, you know, your intern, because like I wouldn't have her in more than one to two days a week, usually. I, can't, I just can't afford it. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask about that, that yeah. how that worked. I, don't, I didn't want to get into specifics about actual monies, but um, like I don't even know officially what an intern would mean relative to... Like, yeah, it's, it, a nice, uh, it's a nice cloudy area. Yeah, so like <laughs> what are you... Subcontractor. Can you charge, can you pay an intern, like like over here there's different rates for if you're a young person or first job type apprentice level, you can charge like below minimum wage. Um, I don't pay below minimum wage. No, like I wouldn't either, but... I, uh, I pay my I don't interns wanna... more than what I earn on an hourly rate. Right, yeah. <laughs> once, once I package everything in. Yeah, yeah. And I obviously couldn't do that if I had a full-time employee, but if it's somebody for one or two days... Mm. It helps me get one job moving while I'm moving on something else. Yeah. Then it kind of makes sense. Um, but no, I would, I, I, don't, I don't know, pay peanuts, that, you get monkeys. That's right. That's the scariest thing about when yeah. you first think about, hey, an employee would really be helpful. And how much should, do they have to earn a week? And you go, holy shit, I've got to yeah. find that much extra money a week. Yeah. And then you start really going, oh, God, what are we yeah. doing? <laughs> I think it's it's obviously a big factor of why so many furniture businesses remain a one person yeah. enterprise for so long. Yeah. Um, and why jig videos on YouTube are so popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you would you hire a friend? Do you think? Me? No. No chance. No. I I either w- want somebody who has s- some experience on tools. Um, doesn't have, they don't have to be an expert but they have to be a really quick learner and they have to ask the right questions not ask loads of questions like if people just bombard you with questions there's nothing more frustrating mm. but asking the right questions is really key mm. and again I've been really lucky with the people that have interned with me that they will ask questions and again I think it's probably a factor of um, my interns have all been female that they're better at asking questions. Mm. I think if I had a young guys come in, they would just push on, do it, and I'd look around, yeah. and that plywood sheet would be cut in half, exactly how you're describing. Yeah, um, I've, I've had a, a teenage kid help me out a little bit, and it's since gone because it's just too much. Um, yeah. Too much. I know everything. Yeah, and I'm listening, but I'm not listening. <laughs> do you have an example yeah. of a, a good question? I mean, obviously, I can. We can all imagine a, a, what a bad question um, would be. But what's a good question? Probably firstly around safety. Like, like they'll ask, you know, how to feed something into a table saw, where they should be standing, their stance, whether you know when to use a feather board, blade height, just really simple things like that. That I think if it was a guy, if it was me coming into somebody's workshop, I'd probably just do it the way I knew, you know, or the way I thought I knew. Um, but I don't know. It's a generalization, but I find that women are a lot more open to ask the question if they're not 100% sure about it. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was just going to say, I, I think... Um, I think I lost my train of thought now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but change, change the topic. I... Uh, I did the best I always put it off and I don't know why I put it off because I work in a damp workshop where all my stainless steel goes rusty sorry all my all my cast iron goes rusty <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bad environment it's late at night we've been in lockdown for a week give me a break all my cast iron goes rusty and uh, I restored uh, my tabletops of my saw and my bandsaw this week and it is it makes such a difference such a difference the friction like especially cutting sheets and things like that all right it's like do it's the put, most underrated thing you can do mm, in your workshop how about this i don't know you probably don't but the best thing i have is um i can't remember it's one of the blade companies i use the rip rip came around and said have you tried this it's a, like a, a lubricating spray for your tabletop surfaces and just when it starts getting sticky, you just spray down your whatever it is, and it's just like ice. You just slide sheets along it. You can, it's just like butter. It's so good. I've I've always used inox, and it just it works fine. Like it's, what is that? Um, it's kind of like a WD forty, okay. but I think it's has it got more or less silicon in it. I was going to say you, you want like no silicon if you're going to be putting any finish on it, but. That's why this stuff is specifically made. The stuff I use is specifically made for woodworkers, and it, it's a non-silicon lubricant, and it doesn't last forever. It lasts maybe a, maybe do it once a week. Spray yeah. down the surfaces, and then um, yeah. it, it just glides. It's so much easier to. It's amazing what how much less effort you have to put in to using the tool, which is yeah. way safer. Way safer. You feel the difference on the blade of the table mm. saw. Yeah, it's incredible and then if you're trying to cut miters and things the blade doesn't kind of bind and burn on the miters yeah, yeah it's um, yeah big, that's a good big, that's a good tip, tip yeah, yeah really good I discovered that with um, my bandsaw cleaning clean oh, yeah. the actual blade itself how much more life you oh, can yeah. get out of it um, talking about that I don't know if I've asked you guys this before but if you rotate the mo- the, the bandsaw in reverse Mm. Is that while it's off? Obviously, is that going to damage the motor? Do you think? I can't remember no. if I've asked you guys this. No, I mean it's just an electric motor. They can run backwards. Just change the polarity. So okay, because yeah. when it's off, it's off anyway. Like you're not like. I just thought maybe you. Yeah, you. Anyway, um, I just take a cloth and just some meth and just run the thing backwards with the cloth and it's amazing how much extra life you can get out of that especially when you've been cutting things like uh, Vic Ash I find is really really it just gums up that that blade awfully and yeah makes such a such a huge difference it's a pain well my I've got a jet bandsaw and it's got an electric brake on it so I can't turn it by hand at all it's a pain in the ass so so even when, even it's, when it's off, that, that break holds yeah. it. Oh, interesting. It must be. I'm not sure how how why how it does it because even if it's unplugged, it, you can't turn it. Well, you can. It's like you've got to really force it, and it squeaks and it's squeals. Like a geared and, mechanism or something. Yeah, Probably something. Because it because okay. uh, there's rules. I'm sure you guys must have similar rules, but um, machinery's got to sh- turn off and stop spinning within a certain amount of seconds. Yeah. Um, and so they just put electric brakes on 
everything. My bandsaw doesn't have it. It's got an emergency stop, but it, mm. it's got a big foot brake on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. you got to smash into it, but it works. That's probably... I've always wondered what that sound is with my bandsaw. When I switch it off, it winds down. It, yes. it takes a while. Oh, yeah. And then as it stops, you get this weird, like, yeah, this weird like drone sound for a <laughs> second or two, and then it stops. And I turned it off once at the bandsaw and then just went straight over because I keep everything on, unpl- uh, turned off at the wall. Turned off at the wall and that sound didn't happen. So that's obviously... Right. That, that there could be some kind of break, although you, typically they should kick it immediately, but... Um, Mine takes probably about five seconds. Interestingly, my on my big table saw, it used to like it used to break immediately. You'd like turn turn it off, and it would just like wind down. Like within three seconds, it stopped. Um, but whatever mechanism makes that work has decided to sometimes work. <laughs> so I think um, they say it's it, a really handy thing with a table saw. I, yeah, like, really, it's super safe to stop real yeah. fast. Uh, Apparently, it's just a dust getting into the sensor or something, or rather, dust inside the cabinet, and I can't be bothered trying to find where that is. <laughs> Talking about tools, um, I had a. Oh, sorry, Brian, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, talking about tools. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my post the other day, but a wee discussion with the Melbourne sort of furniture maker group on Instagram led to the discovery that. Oh, uh, yeah. There'll be some, a wee bit more Bunnings bashing going on, but more aimed at Ryobi. If you buy Ryobi tools as a professional, your warranty is void. Oh, yes. How, how is that a what thing? What constitutes professional? In yeah, the small well, print, it's like if these are professional use, the warranty is void. So if you buy it in Bunnings using a power pass, it voids uh, the warranty. So is that like a trade account, a power pass? Yeah, or? yeah. So you can still go and use your business card, but you'd have to rock up to return it when it breaks, if it breaks, when it breaks. But I mean, <laughs> when it breaks. What, co- what makes you a professional if you're doing it full time? Well, that's a very is, good is question. That, is that a great, I mean, okay. it's just... Well, that's true. I could have an, bit, like, like, um, I could have an account. And yeah. no, I could just, because if, like, if I'm building a house, a lot of people, a lot of my clients will get accounts with these companies so they can just have the trade pricing and deal with the billing and everything directly rather than have it go through a, a builder or a third party. Um, it's a lot easier for a homeowner to keep track of bills if you have your, an account with with the company. Um, yep. So that would make you uh, not a tradesman, but you just happen to have an account and now your warranty is void. Yep. It's so. crazy. Mm. So if my compressor goes up in smoke, then it's too bad. Actually, we'll just bring it back, but you just you can't have purchased it on a trade um, on a trade discount card, and you can't say that you're from a business when you return it. It's just a weird thing for a tool company, like even all the really naff brands out there. I've never heard that before. Yes, um, speaking of discounts, last week I think we I briefly I was going on about how um, if you're yeah, it was to do with the Bunnings pricing and bollocks. And I said, you know, if, if you just go to the trade version of whatever it is you're trying to buy, I, I think I gave the example about PVA glue. So I had to buy, for getting the house ready for sale, I had to buy uh, a whole bunch of cabinet door handles. And we needed like 58 or something. Jeez. And 
and because we wanted all the house to match all the all the doors were just going to have the same cabinet hand, handles everywhere and if you go to Bunnings they're like $15 each or whatever depending what you're buying but even if you go to the very cheapest ones they're like expensive and you times that by 50 something and that's a very lot of money expensive. Um, so I had a little bit of research I had got a brochure from Mar Deco who is a, in New Zealand at least a, a commercial supplier of handles and that's what they do cabinet handles I found one I liked rang the lady and she said okay yeah I can sell these to you right now or are you a business I said yeah I, do. I said, told her what I do she said oh well if we get you an account you can have the 40% discount 40 percent. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, sure thing. I'll take an account form. Thank you. And then got 40% off the retail price. Which I assume was yeah, already so this cheaper. Is, this is what everybody has to do. Just phone around and you will yeah. find these people. Just like, yeah, go to the source. And it's the best example of what we were talking about. Like, So... Um, it's just I do it on a daily basis like I had to the same thing I had to buy a piece of brass for a job I'm working on went to the supplier uh, like Bunnings had something like it what I needed it was close for about $140 for this length of angle brass angle iron angle section went to the supplier and it was 68 bucks sure but that included shipping to me like <laughs> it's just it's just Use your telephone. Use the Google. Mm. As part of the the TimberCon work that I've just done, there was a a, a a box of clamps that was on back order, and they arrived this week. And it was quite a nice surprise because a delivery person arrived and said, "Here's a box from TimberCon." I mean, I didn't, didn't wasn't expecting anything. Anyway, four clamps. This box weighed around 15 kilos. They are long-reach clamps. Do you guys have long-reach mm-hmm. clamps in your... No, but I know what they are. <laughs> these things are ridiculous. Because they, they're long-reach and they're pretty short, they look like, gig- they just look like gigantic clamps. Um, yeah. But what I wanted to ask you guys, the, the, the screw mechanism is copper-plated. Why would they make mm. it out of copper? Copper-plated or solid copper, do you think? I think it's copper-plated. Yeah, it couldn't be solid copper. It'd be too expensive. Um, It's soft as crap. (laughs) Something Um, with welding, maybe? Well, a lot of things do have a copper plate. Like, um, things like... The only example I can think of is, like, um, a belt buckle will have... Like, it might have a chrome or silver finish. And if you wear it long enough, you wear through to the copper plating... And then if you wear through the copper plating, it'll have like the shit steel underneath that. Mm. And it could be, I, mean, yeah. I don't know why they'd go through that process, but... It wouldn't um, just be aesthetic. I suppose it's, no, but if it's copper or some kind of copper alloy, um, it would have resistance to corrosion. Mm. So maybe they're trying to protect the steel or something underneath. I mean, it could be easier to clean maybe. if glue gets on it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Anyway, that's that's one question that I've been meaning to ask. How do you get um, glue off your clamps? <laughs> Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you use epoxy. Um, uh, no, not gosh. too often. But, I, yeah, the, you know, the best trick I have if I'm using those big, you know, the long T-bar yeah. type 
yep. ones. I just put packing tape on the bar itself. Yeah, before. And then when it wears off, eventually just put some more tape on it. Yeah, doesn't really work with the kind of bessy um, no, clamps. No, no. Oh god, mine are so clogged up with glue. I need to. I need to find a chemical solution or something. There's a the mm. guy on on YouTube. He's down in Melbourne. Cuffy. We've probably talked about Cuffy in the past. Yeah. Yep. I've got it in my head that he occasionally soaks his in water overnight, which could be wrong because that might put the, the clamps in a bit of risk. But he, <laughs> in one of his videos, went to great length to, or he goes to great length to keep his clamps clean. And I th- I'm almost sure there's something to do with an overnight process because your tight bond original, if you submerge mm, it, it will break yeah. down. And that, that's how he does it. When it's really cured and like you know you get those see-through drops of really rock hard glue that stuff typically doesn't want to move off anything Mm. um i would say maybe once you do find a solution is that a place where you would put silicon spray or is are you going to lose friction on there uh good question I might try it on one. I've got one. I don't know how the Bessie clamp works exactly. I'm not sure if it is like an F clamp style where it has little ridges on the top and bottom of the steel shaft. Ridges on the top of the shaft. So so the head kind of pivots a little bit, and so you you're not really relying on a surface to surface friction, but it's more of a mechanical. Yeah, that's that's probably mechanical enough to overcome the silicon. So if you had some slippery crap on there. Uh, glue might yeah, not stick. Yeah, might give it a might give it a try. I've got one but, that's sort of semi broken, so I might I might try it on that one first. I I had when I was in school, I had a, a friend whose dad was a panel beater, car sprayer type guy, and he always like silicon spray was banned from the household because um, it doesn't go away; it just transfers from surface to surface. Yeah. And if he ends up going to work and putting his silicon spray oh, hands yeah, on, a, on a vehicle, paint. they yeah. can't spray it, and that's almost impossible to get off. Um, and so I wonder if there, that could be a problem as well in our line of work if we have silicon spray around and then you, you rub your hands over this nice tabletop and then you try and put anything on it. It's just you're going to have these weird spots where nothing's, nothing's happening. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll keep you posted if I find a solution. There's a nice little tip to end off the show. Keep your silicon yeah. away from the, work, the workshop. Yep. And on that, uh, I'd like to say thanks to everyone for listening. Um, do you guys have anything more to that you want to bring up? Uh, not really. Well, we've got a good guest next week. Mm. Yes. Super we exciting. never do previews of the guests, so maybe we should do a preview of the mm. guest. Why don't you give us a bit of a, a rundown on him? So we have got um, Wood Reviews Maker of the Year for 2020, Simeon Ducks, coming on. Uh, very exciting. And, of course... Robin reckons he stole another award <laughs> as every winner of every... I'm never going to let this die. I'm never going to let it go. <laughs> no, no, you're not. You know. But yeah, really excited to talk to Sim. He's obviously yeah. done some incredible mm. work. So yeah, that's going to be he, a good He's one. in Melbourne, is he? Yeah, he's Melbourne-based as well. So he's all locked up anyway. Yep, yep. And we're going to be locked up by the time we talk next time. <laughs> I think Yay! Yay! All right. All right. At least we can work. We can work during this one. Oh, you can. Kind of. Are you essential? Kind of. Oh, sweet. Good. Manufacturing is is now deemed as essential, but perfect. The fact I'm working on a big built-in job, I'm not allowed <laughs> to install it in a client's house because the client yeah. lives there. Mm. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah. Anyway. 
Cool. Next week's going to be good. All right. Yep. So to everyone listening, if you did enjoy the show, please go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes. It always does help us out. The Shop Store podcast is available on most podcasting apps. Joe and Brian, thanks again for hanging out, and we'll talk to everyone next week. All right. See ya. See you guys. <laughs>